Does it get easier? No. Yes. It gets easier. Oh, yeah? Look at you. Thanks. <laughs> the more you know who you are and what you want, the less you like things to say. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of a podcast directed by I am Dave, and this is my co-host, Mike. Hello again, Internet. (laughs) People of the Internet that like me. (laughs) There's got to be one or two. Uh, So on this episode, we are continuing our look at Sofia Coppola's work with her second film, Lost in Translation. Maybe her most highly thought of film as far as the critical consensus. You know, and this is the, I guess, the story of an aging actor who goes off to Japan to hawk whiskey and uh, meets a very hot uh, young American there. And they have kind of a relationship. Uh, So we have Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson in these roles, uh, which is, and this is a movie that feels like it. And we'll just kind of jump into kind of what, what we're expecting uh, of this movie is that it feels like when it first came out, it was very highly thought of, I think, I don't know if he got nominated, but I know Bill Murray got mentioned in all these kind of Oscar uh, discussions. Um, Sophia Coppola. Feels like he was got close yeah, I feel like he was point. right there. And honestly, looking back, it would feel like sort of like a career achievement award or this role, right? Where it's like, oh, where Bill he's playing Murray. Bill Murray, <laughs> but slightly sensitive. Yeah, a little nicer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it seems like there has been a little bit of a, you know, people looking at this again and maybe having some more problems with it, especially culturally when you have like two white stars in a movie set in japan um so there's definitely an othering that goes on and you're meant to lean towards these other characters here i'm uh, you know it's it's called lost in translation like i'm I'm yeah i mean it is in the title yeah see the way you were setting it up i'm like yeah i'm leading this charge because i nope you're not No, clearly I'm, I've been uh, I've been left out of that conversation so, because I don't even know what terms you're using. Othering. <laughs> what is this? So this is a movie that we've both seen. I, I'm making an assumption numerous times at this point. Um, so going back to it, what were your expectations leading in? You had mentioned on our last episode, kind of talking about, kind of maybe worried about what you'd think of it now after you'd rewatched the Virgin Suicides. So yeah, okay. Just just being upfront, I did a uh, a podcast on this two or three years ago and that was probably a more honest reassessment because that uh like our last episode on virgin suicides i talked about like oh i've not seen this since i was a teenager so you're, you're gonna have that you know young man old man response mm-hmm. the, the, the gap the decades that have passed you're not really gonna get that from me because i did rewatch it again for this this podcast and i told you that apparently my wife like you know is now a sophia coppola expert she has like binged her entire filmography with me and the one i watched without her was the one i assumed that she had seen because everyone's seen lost in translation and she had not um i'd seen this multiple times i liked a lot uh when i wouldn't see what came out in what 2003 so i'm close to the you know charlotte character here in age you know i think she's uh she just graduated college yeah i, I think. think that's yeah 
so maybe you know I'm a little bit you know like Virgin Suicide, a little bit younger than uh, the female lead in Sofia Coppola's films, but and uh, I think I was far more, I, I was probably far more forgiving. You know, certainly the conversations that were happening in uh, 2003 were I don't think as much about you know privilege. I don't remember seeing that mm, no. thrown around. You know, you would just <laughs> then you would just be like, well, it must be nice to to be able to afford travel like that, yeah that, that you we, we've condensed things now but we've also made it more aggressive these charges were like throwing at these fictional characters um uh, but i was for sure far more forgiving of the charlotte character played by scarlett johansson um now now i'm older crankier and i'm like you're fun you're, you're young <laughs> you're in your early 20s like stop being so sad like you know mm-hmm. you'll you'll figure it out get rid of get rid of that guy you know he doesn't <laughs> He doesn't care for you, like there you go, hey, Giovanni Ravisi again. Well, is... you know, the, stay behind the camera, narrate Lost in Translation for us. Maybe he could, you know, without subtitles, he would just <laughs> just read off like what people meant to say. It would be that weird uh, godlike presence where it's uh, he would come in. What a nice uh, way to put it. <laughs> well, it's, uh, Little Children is a movie that does that really well. I'm a big fan of that one. Uh, I don't think uh, Todd Field, I think is his name, has more than three films, so probably not going to be on this podcast because Dave's an asshole. Yep. But Sofia Coppola, Lost in Translation, it makes total sense to me. Why? Maybe not from that you know, politically skewed take on it as far as how it's handling other cultures, because for me that's fine, because <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like the film is set up like these, these are out-and-out tourists. Like one's there to mm-hmm. do a job. He's there to make $2 million. The other is trying to interact with the world, but she just doesn't want to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And so she finds herself isolated and sad. That's fine with me because it, it's not specific to the culture, <laughs> nor should mm-hmm. it be. This could be in Belgium for all, you know, who cares? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get back in the headspace of the problem being that you're traveling alone. And I'm like, God, I wish I had the time. <laughs> like, <I> wish, <laughs> what are you talking about? So I feel like this is a young person's movie. And if Sophia Coppola made it now, uh, you know, even if she I, she may not even entertain making something making something like this now, but it's going to be very different. Right. So you have to appreciate it like it's from a young filmmaker, from a young person's perspective and uh, kind of go with it. And I'm going to try to do that, Dave. I'm going to try to give it the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. But I didn't enjoy it as much. No. So it's interesting that you bring up this this idea that it's a young person's movie and that it essentially kind of sounds like you're saying one of the big reasons this isolation is happening is because, you know, they're in this foreign place and they don't have someone to be with. And I actually think that it's setting it in Tokyo is a really clever way of showing that isolation. And I think Coppola does this amazing job just of like filming the city and showing like how stunning and how beautiful it is, but how cold it can be if you're removed from it. And I think she does a wonderful job at that. But I think both of these people are isolated in the United States and they're isolated in Tokyo. It doesn't matter where they are. It's not a, to me, it's not about like, Oh, it's because they're traveling and they're alone. Like I think neither one of them, at least for a long, long time, has found someone that connects with them on any real level. It's all false. It's all surface level, which is why this relationship becomes so important to both of them, which is why, like, with, like, one almost kind of vicious throwaway line, it becomes really hurtful. There's a line later in the film where, you know, Bill Murray is hooked up with with someone and, like, makes this comment to Scarlett Johansson's character, like, oh, I'm sorry if someone wasn't there 
to cater to your every whim. It's like, it's so vicious. It's so mean. And you really feel it because she literally, she has no one. There isn't anyone to show her attention and there's no one for her well, to show attention to. I, I mean, I think you make a decent point uh, about these characters. And we have no, we have no <laughs> knowledge on how they would be, uh, I guess, in their their home environment, whatever that may be, you know, in the States. Um, but so it's, it's engineered, it's, you know, designed to garner sympathy without mm-hmm. getting into the messy bits of, you know, showing an isolated character surrounded by their family members, uh, is probably a feeling most people at some point in their lives would understand. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you have a two hour movie where it's Bill Murray, you know, doing his older version of Don Draper, where he's stewing in the corner of the room with like, you know, a glass of bourbon in his hands and like his kids running ding. around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a very different movie, right? Like you don't, you definitely don't want to get into uh, screwball, like American beauty territory where it's just like, look how crazy it is to like hate your <laughs> wife and daughter and your job. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a much more Sophia Coppola take on it where at times it can be fun and pretty, but um, I think that the problem I had with it this time in um, going back to the idea of watching them in order, like entire filmography from a filmmaker and from their particular lens, how they view the world is I like the Virgin Suicides having those boys trying to put together mm. what made those girls tick. But here we we get glimpses of those private moments where you have the Charlotte character like, you know, trying to talk to her husband and he's he's out the door constantly. Mm-hmm. And you have <laughs> Bill Murray's character getting faxes from his wife. About what shade of you know burgundy or maroon that he wants for his office, and I don't I don't know if those work as much like at this particular point in my life. I, I feel like this is a movie that is going to change the more you watch it because at some point you're going to be like, look, at least someone cares about this bullshit. It may not be the bullshit that you care about at that particular moment. But, you know, someone has to operate the homestead, Mr. Murray, like someone like you're probably going to be the asshole bitching that you don't have like your own private space in your family home and your wife is trying to make that happen for you. And it's like you're bothered because she's interrupting your sleep and she's not on Tokyo time with you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little more like aggressive with the characters than I was as like a 20 year old. Regardless of when I saw it, I think I had a very similar reading of Bill Murray's character until you have that sequence later in the film. Uh, with him and ScarJo, where she asks him the question, does it get easier? Uh, which, and that's probably my favorite scene in the movie where he kind of talks about, you know, like essentially like, yes, it does. And no, it doesn't. And how terrifying it is to how terrifying and wonderful it is to have kids. And that whole sequence, I think is really well handled. And honestly, like some of the best, the, you know, I kind of joked around that this is Bill Murray playing himself, but that scene, I think he stretches himself a little bit and it's, it's a more grounded version of Bill Murray than we've seen perhaps in anything before or since. And but to me, not I've, worthy of an Oscar, according to Dave. Yeah, nothing is. Oscars are useless anyway. They gave Green Book an Oscar. Oscars are stupid. Uh, so. <laughs> Made me so happy. I can't wait till we do the Fairly Brothers on this show. <laughs> Someday. Does that count? Even though we lost a Fairly Brother? I don't know. I don't know. One day. I'm going to go I with no, I, just so I don't have to rewatch Green Book. That's... I think I'm going to be that guy. Someone will will write the great behind the scenes tell all of Green Book. How did one Fairly Brother not make? The, how did he get pushed hey, not, aside not get from the Oscar cut? glory? Yeah, exactly. Um, I was wondering, do you have 
a similar reaction to Giovanni Ribisi's character as you do to uh, Bill Murray's wife's character? Or do you just find him obnoxious and you... I, I don't... I mean, I, he's not a dude I'd want to hang out with, but I, I, you know, I think as a dumb young man, uh, I was more protective and defensive of Charlotte here. Mm. And like, oh, she's a beautiful young woman. Why aren't you like sharing Tokyo with her? Like, it, you know, he seems like he's older. Uh, you know, he's definitely got to jump on his professional life. More accomplished. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Like, let, that's... That's a little more positive bit. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm think my read of the characters, he's fallen into some success that mm. maybe is not totally earned. I don't know. Wow. Um, <laughs> just don't hold back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, look, what we know about the character is that, um, he doesn't have any backbone. Like the, the only time he ever mm-hmm. has like dialogue in the film is when he's expressing, uh, concern about this photo shoot for rock band and what or to tell his uh, lovely girlfriend to stop being a bitch to everybody that's that's his well his he's other you know, he, he acts like he has no control so the only thing he has control of is her emotional state and returning affection and that's the one thing he denies but like in his professional life he uh thinks like that they're making trying to make something look cooler than it should be they should just be nerdy like they actually are like you know they should mm. retain their like Honesty, but he doesn't display any sort of honesty himself. He bends to. You have like the uh, Cameron Diaz character. I think I was just gonna, was just going to bring that up. I was I was just thinking. I'm surprised you ever liked this movie because uh, I know about your affection for Cameron Diaz and the most obnoxious character in this movie. Reportedly, I don't think that Coppola has ever said this in any interviews, but the rumor it's, is has gone around Diaz. forever that this character is based not loosely. <laughs> On well, Cameron Diaz. You're wrong on both counts. Because okay. Good. <laughs> I think this character is a goddamn hero. I, oh, I love geez. I love this version of Cameron Diaz, who <laughs> it's actually a knock against the film for me as an older person. Like as a young man, I'm just totally like focused on Scarjo. Her face, her reaction, everything. The way Coppola frames it is like for the most we watch most of the conversation with her just like like mouth agape, just sort of appalled at what a kiss ass her husband is. Just kind of how I feel. Said, mm-hmm. Has no backbone. And I'm thinking, what a fucking loser. Like what a, you know, what a little twerp. Like, you know, if I was, <laughs> if I was in those shoes, those very small shoes, presumably for <laughs> Mr. Rabisi <laughs> looking up to Cameron Diaz or Anna Ferris here, uh, I would have said, you know, nah, not that cool. And simmer down, calm down, you know, settle down Beavis, all of those things. <laughs> But instead, here's my knock as an older person. I, I, I'm riffing on some material I've already used for that, that other rewatch years ago on the podcast. And it's something I'd totally forgotten. I remembered, you know, that the sort of hipster cars played where we run into another sort of vapid actor, you know, just talking their bullshit. We've all run into people like that, people at parties that were like, please stop talking about this thing I clearly don't care about. <laughs> Um, what she's doing, she's doing her like talk show material. Like I do my podcast material with you. Like I got 10 minutes on this bullshit. Oh, no wonder you like her. It's all coming together now. (laughs) Here's my problem with it though. Like we don't know enough about her to know if she's being genuine or not, because what we do know is that she's dealing with, uh, a man who's not authentic, Mm -hmm. but we don't know if she's not authentic. So I, I don't like I feel like it's a little bit of female and female crime there where there's a little bit of a mean girl element where it's like, oh, she's stupid and dumb. 
how could you like bend to her whims like that? And instead you should be blaming the man who's like being subservient to something that he considers uncool privately. He would be like, Oh, that's so stupid. The way that they're portraying this, like mm-hmm. trying to be hip when they're not. But I think as a you know 20 something, I was just like, she sucks and he sucks. <laughs> and now I'm thinking maybe she's just honest. Maybe she's just not into the same shit you're into scar Joe or Sophia Coppola, you know, that like I'm, I've lost the ability to judge people for being, enthusiastic and positive uh, in their interactions with other people. See, I've not lost that. Apparently I'm still willing. (laughs) I'm still in my early twenties in my, that's that's going to be a tough road to hoe for you, my, my friend, because, uh, (laughs) I'm doing it alone. It's fine. (laughs) Who, who has the time? Like, you know, I I understand. Oh, I got time. I got time. Well, clearly we got time. (laughs) We got this directed by podcast here, but I don't know. I, I felt like, so you you open the show saying that, you know, there's some judgments being made now about, you know, these outsiders, their mm-hmm. viewpoint. And they're sort of like pointing, not pointing and laughing because ScarJo and Mr. Murray can't really be bothered to like chuckle that often. They're you know, just sort of coolly like standing off to the side of the party. Like Although this movie could use sucks. that if I'm being totally honest. Maybe would, a little bit. I'd be OK. Um, I don't I don't. uh I think at times it goes against the arcs of the character. Like the, the need for comedy is in direct combat with our trying to garner our sympathies for what these characters are going through. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you have these weird action sequences. Like I I made fun of that in the Virgin suicides for like (laughs) the, the men trying to pull down the fence was a Sophia Coppola action joint. And here we have a legitimate chase sequence. And I, the whole time I'm thinking, could we not maybe just try connecting with another human being? Mm. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe stop using people and places as props. I think that's kind of the point, though. I think that's what these two characters are just terribly, terribly bad at, is making connections with other human beings. Despite the fact that one of them is married with a family, I, you know, again, we are not privy to how that relationship started. All we have is the say-so of our characters. But the the thing I think I always kind of read into this is that I don't I'm not sure he's ever connected. Like I, I think he's, he's just, just don't complain to me about it. It's yeah. basically my <laughs> <laughs> as, as an audience member, like you know. But you brought up this idea of female and female crime, which I I have to admit I didn't think of. But now that you mention it, it's, it's an interesting thought because one of the things I always think of when I first start watching this movie, and you can't avoid it because the opening shot of this movie is ScarJo's ass. Like that is the opening shot, and I started thinking like. What would we say about this if this was a male director? And I find myself wondering, what is the point of that shot? Because opening shots and closing shots usually have a point. It's trying to set the stage for something. And I'm still, even though I've seen this movie a bunch of times, I still struggle to see what the point of that is. Maybe to show um, that, um, you know, that she has no one there with her. In that moment, I don't know, but it's just it made me think. That's like, strange because I, I read it like there is someone there, and eventually, everything everything cool that's happening in your life becomes background to this internal plight you've made for yourself. Mm. So, like, you have, especially at that time, you know, very young woman, and she's become she's become a sex symbol. Like, to, that goes back to how I viewed it as a young person, where I'm like, why why are you not just 24 seven focused on this person who like from whatever, by the grace of God has chosen to be with your stupid, stupid, very <laughs> short ass, Mr. Rabisi. <laughs> and See, I, I still feel that way. What are you doing? <laughs> Look at her. She's right next to you, man. But that the, the characters that Sophia Coppola has chosen to follow. And so we're following as well. Also look past 
like all of their their own things too. Like they want to be looked at, but they also are not like looking at anyone. And so the person that they it's uncomfortable. Like I think at the time I read it, it's like, oh, that's fun and that's cute. Like this old man and this young girl and they go out and sort of like gallivant around and are like sarcastic about like, you know, in Tokyo or their you know, their existence for this week in this hotel. Instead I'm thinking of it like that's kinda of horrific that these two somewhat unstable people who lean into being jaded have found each other when really they should be finding Cameron Diaz. That's who they should be finding. Like, can't, like maybe not ScarJo's character, but Bill Murray's character definitely should have run into her. And maybe this is an audio podcast, but my hands were like, they meet in the middle. Maybe their levels adjust. And that's the, that's the true balance of the force you need. But I mean, I, I'm sure there are much more intelligent readings of that opening shot other than like, it's a hell of a title shot. You know, there's a, yeah. one of those Twitter or Instagram accounts that does like the, the title. One perfect shot. Is that like, just... You definitely couldn't put that out there like that one. You know, you're, you're going to, you're going to pick something else. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, it's just that whether you're old or young, just not being able to see. And unfortunately, like probably things that come to you in life, like Bill Murray's, Making two million dollars for this stupid bullshit alcohol commercial. Sign me up. Jesus. He's looking past that already. I mean, mm. he says that's the reason I'm here, but he doesn't see what <laughs> what could that do if I go through this week of bullshit. You know, what is that in ahead going to provide? He, I don't know. It's like he's 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 become comfortable in <sighs> boredom. I don't know. Like I, I I hate to bring that up in a Sofia Coppola podcast because I feel like some of those. That's a commentary from people who don't like her films. They're mm. like they're boring and slow. But I, I think this I think it's is more a, about you, disconnection than than boredom. I you give the characters more credit because I <laughs> I lean boredom. I think I think the connections are there. Uh, they just everyone wants to go to through a state in their lives. I think where they feel more isolated than what they are. Mm. I think you like, and, and maybe that's healthy to have that like sort of push and pull quality. But I, I don't think it's it's healthy for these two characters, which is why, like, this sort of quasi-mentor slash, like, love that they share, um, every time I watch it, makes me increasingly uncomfortable as far as, like, I don't know if this is the most positive See, there, there I will agree with you. The romance inherent in this movie is something that's always kind of made me uncomfortable. Um, some of it is the drastic age difference. Like that's, it's, there's, there's a problem there. It's fine. I've seen movies before. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's kinda, how movies are. Kind of happens constantly. The other piece of it is it feels like, so this disconnection that I keep bringing up, it's really interesting to me because, you know, he ends up, you know, hooking up with the lounge singer, uh, who works at this hotel bar. And if I wrote it down right, the hotel bar is even named English. Like everything is very, it's a little on the nose, you know, him trying to make connection with anything that's not Japanese. In this moment, um, you know, it takes her back to the hotel. They have they have their moment. She's she's there the next morning. Um, so that felt like, oh, OK, he's connecting with someone his age. That's probably more healthy for him. And then, like, you know, you realize, like, maybe an hour later, like, wait a minute, he just cheated on his wife. And it doesn't even register because that relationship is so distant. And that well, relationship doesn't exist for us. Right. She exists over the telephone, over the fax machine. And. They kind of snipe, not even snipe at each other. They just kind of like, they're both very monotonous and just kind of like, uh, whatever, just answer my question so I can go back to my life that doesn't involve you. So you don't even really recognize that as a real relationship. So then you have this, you know, him cheating on his wife, but it feels like it feels strangely positive 
in that moment. And then you have this romance, this pseudo romance continue um, till the end of the film where, you know, where Charlotte and this <laughs> and this man kiss and share some words that have been argued about ever since the movie came out. What did he say? What did he say? It doesn't matter what he said, really, at all. I could care less, honestly. Like, that is the one thing about this movie that I could not be less interested in is what he whispered in her ear. I think it's designed for you to really like, even like want to know, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It don't, you know, (laughs) I mean, you can probably knock out a lot of theories as far as I'm sure it was positive and life affirming in some way. Um, You know, it's a nicer goodbye than what they had shared. And it's the, the one good thing about that sequence. If you, you know, and I, I, it's strange. Like even this time, I just seen this like three years ago. I, I forgot there was even a kiss. I like, uh, you know, somehow, I, I think and, this is part of the movie because I always block it out and it always surprises me when that's, I always think it's I was just like, a hug and a whisper. Yeah. That's how I, and so I watched it and I'm like, Oh, I don't like that. So Do you I think don't it'd know be a I'm better just... movie if they kind of, they kept the romantic tension, but kept out any like expression of that physical romance. I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, I, I actually kind of, like it and then i don't like seeing it because i i think that sophia coppola is honest that you know there's clearly like for bill murray there's some interest because it's such a strikingly attractive young woman who somehow has the personality of bill murray like right (laughs) that's what we all dream of so yeah i mean he's taking his one shot in uh, i guess the least possible creepy way when there's still like physical affection and that he's planning one on her i don't know it's it's throwback to like more of a sort of golden age type thing like just one kiss right mm-hmm. and then you you send her on her way very and, classic film yeah I, for sure yeah it's just uh yeah, look I, I think honestly if it was if it's george clooney or we you know we're probably we probably have a very different reaction to that visual yeah and that that's more on us than it is the film so I, I do like that she did that. But yeah, I, I'm the same as you. I always delete it from my mind. Like, uh, it's just not there. Uh, yet again, I think it's a film meant for like a young person because I think having one person just say it's going to be good, like without turning over every rock to be like, well, what is that? That person doesn't really know me. Like, you know, it's just you just want somebody just to step aside. And basically, that's what he does. He just he makes the minimal amount of effort to get out of the cab and go find her in the street. And at that point in time, she reads that as like some sort of deep connection. Mm-hmm. But it's it's sad to me because there's a moment early in the film where she's on the phone with uh, presumably a friend who has, you know, in some regards has started her life. She's definitely also not on Tokyo time. Right. And she's basically trying to get off the phone like she's not ready to have this like monumental life affirming conversation with her friend because she's like, are you having fun? It's good. Oh, that sounds cool. That's great. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, catch up with me when you get back. Tell me all of your stories. And I think that I read that yet again when I was younger as like, look at all these people being told dicks to Scar Joe. And instead, I'm now I watch it. And I think, well, how many questions does she ask someone else about that? Like you, you mentioned one really genuine scene where she's basically looking at bill murray's life experience to try to gauge you know the possibilities of her own and that's like one of the rare times where they actually like talk to another human being about their life and like you know what is it that makes them tick Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of just judging poor cameron diaz for being incredibly (laughs) enthusiastic and providing a little sunlight a little you know I don't know. Grace to the movie. Grace. Oh, <laughs> I think that's a little strong. Um, I think uh, one of the sequences you, you mentioned in that 
long diatribe that you just gave us. Cameron Diaz. Yes. <laughs> is this idea of like just needing this one person to tell you it's going to be okay or tell you that everything is fine. I think it, I think what it really hits for me is like the power of infatuation. And this can be in a friendship. This can be in a romantic relationship, whatever. When you first become close with someone who's really important to you, whether it's for, you know, in this case, like a week, or if it's, you know, a friendship that lasts your entire life, I think there is this feeling of like, they really get me. Right. They understand me, even if they've only known me for 36 hours and we've had three conversations, everything they say is right. They understand me like my partner doesn't like my friends back at home don't like nobody does. Nobody understands me like they do. So I think that having that person in that moment tell you everything's going to be okay, or tell you that you are good enough that you are going to be okay no matter what happens in your life is really, really powerful. And part of me wishes they had leaned in on that more than they did the romance aspect. And I feel like they kind of replaced, they replaced some of the friendship stuff with the romance stuff. And I found the friendship stuff, the the few conversations they did have, that's the stuff that I really like in this movie. That's the stuff that'll never get old to me is seeing two people at different points in their life, like just drop down and get real with one another and just talk about their fears and talk about, you know, what they've gone through and what they hope to go through in the rest of their life. Instead of just like, you know, let's let's just be snarky for 23 hours a day, which we know that is I mean, I'm into that. That is my shtick. But I think some reality is needed. And I just I find myself wishing every time I watch it, I find myself wishing there was a little bit more of that and a little bit less of the snark. Maybe I'm getting a little more mature. I don't know. There's there's definitely a cap, though, with this, uh, you know, these like two ships in a night passing type thing that they've come to accept. Uh, you actually have the Charlotte character, I think, a couple times ask. Like, oh, when are you leaving or how long are you going to be here? That sort of thing. Even after they've had like a fight, like, you know, trying to check again to see what the clock is on this moment between them. But I, you know, I, I think that it's, it's just easy. It's easier work to get that brief connection with someone else when, you know, you don't actually have to put in the effort uh, with them on a long-term basis. It's true. Like, I'm sure that like that, that's that goes back to my you know my sort of continuing problems with the film is that every character outside of this bubble of ScarJo and Bill Murray is presented as some sort of like asshole, the friend on the phone who's got we don't know what other stuff she's got <laughs> going on we don't know what Bill Murray's wife has going on hopefully she's having an affair as well I hope you know, so. Godspeed she's, to her she's trying to decorate uh, her house man she's trying to get and some work even done. the 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 husband you know the husband uh, the the this rock journalist, this uh, photographer that I dislike, um, he he is there doing jobs, like, and he's you know he is in like schmoozing mode, and you get the impression that he kind of wishes that Scarlett Johansson had not come along. Like he he he, the most he's sure. acknowledging is I that, wouldn't even like, say you know, kinda. I think that's clear. Is it like, hey, this is uh, probably kind of boring for you, but it's like I can't, you know, I. <laughs> it would be like if she came to his work. Let's say he worked in a factory, and she was like, why is it so boring here? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you kissing ass to these like celebrities? I would, (laughs) I would watch that movie. (laughs) I mean, I I would, I do want to see like a a workplace comedy from some people (laughs) like that, where it's the cinematic universe where you have all these characters from previous films come back and make these very judgy uh, comments. But uh, there'd be at least one in the uh, next film we're covering that I would love to see. And Sophia Coppola <laughs> presents the factory. 
I'm glad we've worked out her next project. That's good. Sure. That's, yeah. It's one of those movies that definitely it definitely does offer kind of a different experience to it the older you get. I mean, I, I do agree with you that the first time I watched this when it first came out, like, I mean, if you caught me on the wrong day, I probably would have said, this is the best movie I've seen in years. And it's fantastic. And you it's watch it now. The wrong day. Yeah. <laughs> and you watch it now. And it's, I mean, I think it, I, I admire uh, Sofia Coppola's ability. You mentioned boring. Um, her, her ability. I to felt just, bad about that. To just, you did, to be fair, um, to just kind of sit with a lot of these moments. Like there's a lot of these moments of, you know, just filming ScarJo sitting by a window alone and looking out on this gigantic. Oh, those were fun. I didn't have any issue with those. Yeah, well, of course, because you're looking Bill at Murray, Scarlett Johansson. Bill Murray in the tub, maybe. Uh, <laughs> a little boring. But I, but I admire her willingness to just sit there with these moments. And I think those, I think that's probably the reason it's thought of so highly, especially in, in critical circles. It's probably not the dialogue. It's probably not necessarily the filming. It's that it captures this essence of loneliness. Um, of not only because there's a difference between being lonely and being by yourself. There are people that can be by themselves and be completely happy. Neither of these characters are those people. They, I feel like, especially Bill Murray's character, but both of them would probably say, I'm fine being by myself. I like myself. I'm fine being alone. But neither one of them are. Both of them are desperate for something, anything to cling on to, which is why, you know, when they find someone who is remotely like them in how they look at the world and how they deal with people, they like cling on to each other and can't, and until the trip ends, kind of can't let the other one have a moment <laughs> by themselves. Have an affair. Yeah. Can't allow that to happen. Well, I think it's really interesting. I, as I watched it this time, and this is the first time I've had this reaction, I lost a tiny bit of respect for the Charlotte character when he says that terrible thing to her before dinner. And she never, she just, she gets offended by it. You can tell she's upset by it, but then never says another word about it. Never says like, hey, asshole, maybe you shouldn't have said that. Maybe you could be nicer to me. Like you're leaving in a couple days. Like, can we, can we be cool with one another? But she just like, they just move on. And Bill Murray pays no heed to her being upset by it. They just go on to their next little adventure. And I watched it this time being like, man, say something. That's a horrible thing. He just said to you. Maybe He's treating you cruelly. Comes as, uh, that was like a really bad lunch, really bad dinner. Yeah. Cause you're a dick. Of course it was a terrible dinner. Cause you insulted me before we ordered. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's just too real for like this vacation time right. friendship that they have. I don't. I mean, how true. how much of that do you want to bring into it, Dave? And it it's made all the stranger probably because it's not a a, a romance of age appropriate casting. Like you know, if this yeah. is you know, if they're within ten years, I'm guessing, which right. Hollywood is probably twenty. Right? Yeah, I was gonna say like. <laughs> Uh, this is probably a very different movie where the expectations are reset. I think it has to be Bill Murray and it has to be Scarlett Johansson coming off of a ghost world age right. to tell the story Sofia Coppola wants to tell because otherwise I think people in the audience are going to be like, are they going to fuck yet? Are they going to fuck? Like, you know, they're right. gonna, he's going to cheat on his wife. She's going to cheat on her very small partner. And uh, <laughs> I'm just seeing how many of those will be left in the edit. <laughs> All of them. I will not. Tell the short jokes you want. If I'm going to be friends with someone who's six feet tall, I have to I have to deal with this nonsense. So, <laughs> this episode has made me so happy that we're doing this podcast because I think sometimes, like, I'll watch a movie, especially one that I've seen this many times, is this highly thought of, and I think like, oh, I know what I know what people think about this movie. I don't really have to talk about it. But like, you know, you see in rewatching movies and in watching these movies kind of in order. Uh, with this particular director, it has a bit of a different effect. So having said that, 
where do you stand with Sofia Coppola now after watching two of her movies as far as like where you expected you'd be? So uh, then on release, I would have been like, oh, OK, we're just up and up. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that a little bit with the next film as far as the budget that she got uh, <laughs> access to yes. based off the reaction to Lost in Translation. So on to the next bigger thing. Right. Like, And I think there's. And again, sort of an alternate timeline where trying to put myself back in that headspace where you're thinking like, oh, this might be the last small movie like in hotel rooms or like, you know, this mm-hmm. sort of dual character study piece. Like, you know, she's got that out of her system. Now she's going on to bigger projects, wherever that may be. To a certain degree, that did work out with the third film, although I don't think critically mm-hmm. <laughs> it did at least initial release. Now I look at it and I'm kind of like you and like, and like based on how you've talked about it, I'm like, maybe I should find more of those people because I feel like I'm somewhat of an outsider to this very well-known, in my mind, very like well-regarded film where I'm watching it and I, I feel like I need to put it aside. Like I've seen it a handful of times, but <laughs> this may be the last last time because I'm I'm like picking at something that feels a little unfair for it to be the second feature film. And I definitely don't want to come across as these two hipster douches in this film where I'm like lost in translation, actually her worst film. I just want to let you know that's, you know, because I, and I felt bad, like I've been using letterbox more. And so I'm like for this podcast doing a little ranking as I go. Mm-hmm. So I figure when we get to the end, like as I watch them, is that accurate or is that changed by the end of this like month? And I'm already feeling a little sheepish about having mm-hmm. this one. Like at the bottom, I'm like, I'm promise you, I'm not trying to be cool. Like it's just me. <laughs> Mike has literally never tried to be cool. That I, is, <laughs> I, you know what? And if I get that feeling, like I, I like that's why I shouldn't use social media because I'm like, I don't like this being on my letterbox that I have this as like a representation of me. So there yeah. is still hope that there's a worse one coming up. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I hope something is worse. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's um. Because I think sometimes I think film is almost better if you only see the movie once and then never pick it up again, right? Because it's this very like it's this experience that happens once for an hour to three hours, depending on the movie. Well, you're getting older, but the filmmaker is not, right? Like exactly. it's not like they can go unless they're George Lucas. They're not going back to like, <laughs> fix it over and yeah. over again. Yeah, we have new context, whereas you know the context from 2003 is still there and still the same. Um, but again, that maybe that's the great thing about movies too, is you can have a totally different experience. Like my experience rewatching the Virgin suicides is different from the first time I watched it. And my experience rewatching this is different from the first time I watched it too. Um, and this is why I think in a, in a lot of ways, like rankings are stupid and bullshit and you shouldn't. Cause like people will look at, I have a letterbox account too. And people will look at me like, really, you think this is better than this? And I'm like, no, not really. But I don't know. I felt like, I felt like there was a four star movie on you know, on May 15th, that, that time, it also you know, maybe dramatically like, different aims and different genres yes. as far as what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So they're not. The, and I think that's another, it'll be another interesting thing about watching all of Coppola's movies is she does work in a lot of different genres and a lot of different styles. So I think, you know, comparing, like you can probably compare lost in translation in uh, the fourth movie we're going to watch somewhere. Cause I think there's a lot of things in common going on there, but you try and compare, you know, Marie Antoinette to the beguiled. And like, it's like, how do I even, how do I even access this on any level? But we're going to do it. We're, we're going to try and find a way. I think in a lot of ways we've offered ourselves a very interesting challenge with our first director is that this is not a director that 
pens herself into certain genres and certain styles. She just kind of does whatever she's passionate about. Son of a bitch. It could have been Nancy Myers. That was my <laughs> first choice. And you see how much uh, pull I have. You know, the Dave is going by the uh, Electoral College of California <laughs> and Kentucky. Say, Unfortunately, this is Sophia just a Coppola is system. Donald Trump. Is that, what you, is that what this amounts to? Wow. Wow, Mike. I was not going to go get too political. I, I keep harping on you to try to make these uh, episodes timeless. You would have brought up the go. Electoral College. Jesus Christ. What, 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 does that, is that going to change anytime soon? I don't know. Maybe. Shut <laughs> up. Know. Was it five Californias next? Six? It's not happening, Dave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> We're in this hellscape. <laughs> it's true. For we good. Just, we got to get used to it. All right. Um, so on that note, I think that's the perfect way to end this episode. Yeah, that's this we are in that's this the iTunes description. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a tour is for assholes. That's, that's where we're at. Um, so that is it for this episode. And our next episode, um, again, c- continuing with Sofia Coppola's work, Mike mentioned this movie briefly, is another Kirsten Dunst uh, movie that Sofia Coppola directed, Marie Antoinette. And that is also available for to rent and buy on Amazon and iTunes. So check that out. Before.